What's up, everybody? It is Wednesday. It's another co-main event podcast, Patreon live chat. Welcome in to all the beloved patrons of the CME. Thanks to everybody who stopped by over on the Patreon page to enter your questions, comments, concerns, historical quotes, excerpts from epic poetry, whatever you wanted to do this week to put there in the comments section. We are going to spend the next 60 plus minutes going through as much of that as we can with our own answers, speculation, irresponsible lies, all that stuff. Uh, Welcome also, let's just say, to anybody who might be listening over on the free feed during pledge month. If you like what you hear from these no-cost offerings this week, you might want to check us out over at patreon.com slash co-main event. We've got a patronage tier for every budget. If you like this live chat, you can get this every week for $1 a month, which is crazy. We're actually stupid, Ben. You and I are stupid for giving this away for a dollar a month. The deals do not come any better than that in mixed martial arts. Just dumb. It's just a dumb fucking deal. It's like we lost our minds, went crazy, and slashed prices. You know? Like one of those 80s TV guys selling you (laughs) uh, blenders and toasters and stuff on TV. That's exactly what it's like. And don't forget, if you join annually at the $10 or $20 level and hit me up with an email... We'll send you a free shirt. You get to go into the Co-Main Event Podcast shop over at our website, comainevent.com. Pick a shirt, pick a size, pick a color. Send me your address. I'll just put it in the fucking mail for you. We've been sending out shirts right and left this week. Worked ourselves into a shoot with this whole shirt offer. Now we got shirts flying all over the country. Plus, for international subscribers, if you, if you sign up for an international annual deal we're gonna have something for you next week i'm getting it straightened out right now but we don't want we don't want the worldwide co-maniacs to feel left out so we're gonna get you a little something something to sweeten the deal for your own annual subscriptions you don't have to worry about that i'm glad you got that worked out chad's on the case did anything happen this week what did anything was there any was there any headlines or news is there anything to talk about today did any did anything go down some stuff went down. Oh, okay. Some stuff went yeah. down. And it See. gets brought up here in these okay. live chat questions. But like we do, you got to give respect to whoever's first. And this week, that person is Ghostface Miller. Ghostface Miller. Now, I should add that it's, it says it shows, at least for me on the Patreon website, that he's first. It's doing the thing where it shows it's, it's claiming that there are more comments than the comments I could see. But everybody else is acting like he's first. So we're going to go with that. Unless other people tell me different. Asking the first question, as this is right, Ghostface Miller writes, Gentlemen, do you think we're at a point where we should abandon hope for future cross-promotion superfights? Cyborg re-signed with Bellator after being a free agent since last summer, signaling that the odds of a much-desired battle of the generations against Kayla Harrison in the PFL happening are low, if not gone. I can understand the hesitation. If either fighter loses, their negotiating power goes down at their next contract negotiation, and the promoters don't want their person losing to shape public opinion about where each promotion lies in the pecking order of fighters' skills. But even with yet another example of a fight like this not coming together, shit-eating wild people are still posting daily about how PFL and Bellator could take on the UFC if they co-promoted events to have such fights. Is it time we as the MMA fan community give it up? Backup question in case you don't feel like talking about Cyborg. Do you prefer butter or mayo when making grilled cheese for the exterior spread? Please discourse either. I love you both equally and you'll never walk alone. All right, now here's what I do. I go with the mayo inside, but then the butter on the outside of the okay. bread before you toss it on the, the griddle or in the frying pan or whatever you may be doing. I did, did I tell you this? My kids only just recently started deigning to eat grilled cheese. Before Whoa. this, before this, I have always, they do this all the time where I'm just like, okay, you guys, I'm about to serve you up the greatest fucking thing of all time. It's going to be a special treat. You're going to love it. And they're just like, pass hate it won't put it in my mouth don't want to eat it just within the last i would say six months my kids have been begrudgingly sort of been like yeah grilled cheese is okay you know i had kind of the opposite which is that um i between the years where my children were you know two years old and probably five six years old you know Preschool age to like kindergarten, that kind of 
segment, I made, I'm going to say roughly 50,000 grilled cheese sandwiches. <laughs> I just, I got, I could do it in my sleep and often felt like I was doing it in my sleep. Made so many goddamn grilled cheese sandwiches. Grilled cheese and tomato soup was a go-to anytime meal for yeah. them, especially I mean, if they didn't a, like what else It's a wonderful meal. It's one of the best meal. meals. And that's what I keep trying to tell my kids. And for years they've been like, thanks, but no. And now they won't do the tomato soup. Now that I got them eating the grilled cheese, I was like, oh, well, now you got to check out this shit. And drop the tomato soup on them. And they're just like, mm, don't care for it. It's not my favorite. Just like, fuck you, dude. I'm trying to, I am trying to feed you the greatest things in life. But here, just a quick example of what a bunch of little fucking weirds mobiles my kids are. You know what they love to eat? You know what I can put in front of them 10 times out of 10 and they will chow down for dinner? Lentil soup. Huh. Yeah. Not what I thought you were going to say there at all. No. It's like they have zero taste buds. Just spoon the lentil soup in, happy as clowns, run away, do their shit. I don't get it. All right. I digress. Cross promotion has always been a tough sell, right? It's it's a bit of a tough nut to crack, and I know Bellator did some limited stuff with Ryzen and may continue to do that. And those cross-promotion efforts, by the way, specifically, just didn't really seem to make a dent much with the MMA community. I think the hardcores got excited about some of them. But the real sticking point, number one, is who who does it make sense for? Yeah. How does it make sense for both parties? And above and beyond all else, number two, how does it make sense financially? That's the real kicker. Just as in any other question involving prize fighting that you can pose, the bottom line is show me the money. And if there is a situation at some point where two promoters can come together and have a shared vision that makes them both more money than they would make going it alone then I think you have a possibility, but it's also just like more complicated than that. It's not just PFL dude calls Scott Coker and is like, Hey man, let's co-promote. We got the spectrum in North Carolina booked for Saturday night. Bring your, bring your guys, brother. Uh, Coker has to run it up the flagpole to Viacom and you know, PFL may well have to straighten it out with ESPN and all their venture capitalists and all this other stuff. So it's, it's, it's a tough sell, man, and I'm not going to rule out the idea that we might see big-time co-promotional events in the future, but it's just, it's it's a tough puzzle to figure out. Yeah. I think you also have to keep in mind that it's not just the question of, like, who does it make the most sense for? Who would benefit more, potentially, from this co-promotion? It's, there's how we see the promotions as fans and as media, and then there's how the promotions see themselves, and those things are not always in line. And a lot of times, like somebody like PFL, you look at some of the moves PFL is making, some moves that we will discuss here shortly, and you get a sense that they see themselves as, we got money, we're spending money, we're on the come up. Yeah. We are a rocket ship to the goddamn top right now. Yeah. If you and, didn't know that, you, you done found out this week. Yeah. And they probably look at Bellator and go, you are a fading star. And, you know, your your stock is sinking while ours is rising. Why would we want to help you by getting on some co-promotion shit like that when, you know, it just might give you a boost. We've got the better platform on ESPN+. Plus. We've got better you know, distribution and visibility among the general MMA fan crowd. What does it benefit us? Because the way we think we're going to get to the top is by spending all this damn money. Yeah. And so... You know, they are going to be looking at me like we don't you, no one wants to bring, be the one who's bringing too much more to the table or the one that is doing a favor for somebody else. And so maybe we do just have to sort of make our peace with it that, you know, that we're not going to see a whole lot of those co-promotions. Don't hold your breath. Yeah. Hoping for, you know, Cyborg and Kayla Harrison. Right. I mean, it's and it may not just be PFL looking at Bellator thinking they're a fading star, but a, you know, a couple of weeks ago we were hearing PFL might be looking at Bellator seeing a big juicy steak mm. that it could devour. They might be looking at Bellator uh, to steal a line from Letterkenny and saying, you're spare parts, aren't you, bud? That's how they're looking at Bellator. They're going to dump a big glass of water on that steak. Just <laughs> slop it right up. Um, 
I'm going to go to this one before we get into deep Francis and Ganu talk, um, because this is, we've got to give a shout out to Dr. Yvette B., the agile archaeologist, because she is second. She writes, second, an honor and a privilege. Wonder if this is the closest I will get to first. It's 10 hours in as I write this. If Ghostface Miller doesn't show, I think to edit his comment and add an actual yeah. question, do I get de facto first? Because I love you both equally. I've upped my Patreon to $20. I got a promotion, pay raise, and a fancy new title recently, so I want to share the love. God damn it, you don't know how much we appreciate that. That's that's yeah. the kind of sentiment that we're going for here. <laughs> And you know uh, what? We could even if Ghostface Miller was first, we can say the Doctor Yvette B, the agile archaeologist, is internationally first. Yeah, since that's first posting, among archaeologists in the yeah, chat for that, and she's posting from across the pond. So, yeah, international yeah. first. Way to lead by example, Doctor Yvette B. Uh, she goes on to write. I'm excited for the insiders only segment because for some reason I'm expecting smut, and because it's more content. So note, Chad. Let's let's sprinkle some smut in there just from time to time when we're when we're doing our, our after hours you know i mean we don't call it after hours for nothing i mean especially you don't say it that way like for nothing um she writes sometimes i save up podcasts so i can fall asleep to you and i feel anxious if i've listened to all the podcasts and don't have a good segment for bedtime i started doing it about eight or nine years ago when i was doing my phd and things were not going well and now it's just comforting i'm sure i'm not the only co-maniac who does this right right do either of you have anything you fall asleep to? Um, now, we've heard from people over the years, yeah. several people over the years, who have told us that they like to fall asleep to the Go Venomate podcast, which it's difficult to know how to take that. Yeah, as... it's a compliment, I guess. Yeah. But here's the thing, like, how do you fall asleep? Aren't you sitting there on pins and needles being like, oh, right when I fall asleep, Chad's going to make a great point. Mm -hmm. He's going to make a smart, sentient point, and I'll have missed it because I had already drifted off to la-la land. How would you sleep? I don't know. I mean, I would think that your heart is just racing with the <laughs> excitement of the content. Like, how, how could you possibly uh, even think of a closing your eyes and drifting off to dreamland? I don't yeah. know. I mean, yeah. you know what? Enough people have said it over the years that I have to acknowledge it's a thing. I don't know how to feel about it. That's fine. You know, yeah. I guess I can live with that. Um, I, you know, I recently have been trying to experiment with stuff like listening to stuff like calming music or like rain sounds or something to help me fall. And it's not really to help me fall asleep because I've, as people will know who have heard me talk about my frustration with that, even sleeping has to get difficult as you age. I feel like I could fall asleep fine. I wake up in the middle of the night, panicked about every single thing, every single possible thing in my yeah. life at times. And then it's really tough to go back to sleep. And that's the time when I need something like some rain sounds or something to help me fall back asleep and uh, mixed results. I will say yeah. for me, uh, first of all, we joke, but it's totally, it's, it's great. If you want to listen to the podcast while you fall asleep, there's no right or wrong way to listen no. to the co-main event podcast. You so do you, that's our, our stance at all. I tried to do like sleep stories, you know, I can get the sleep story where like someone with a soothing voice will tell you a long meandering story about like a train ride through Scandinavia or something like that, where it's like the mist settles softly on the mountains as the train begins to move. And like, you're supposed to like be relaxed and fall asleep during it. And here, my obsessive compulsive writer brain it's like, well, I can't fall asleep until I find out what happens at the end. <laughs> I got I to gotta hear what happens on this train trip through Scandinavia. Will there be a murder? Well, what will happen? Will I solve the crime? Will there be so. a murder on this soothing <laughs> sleep story? <laughs> uh, but actually, I re I, I, we're going to move on here in a second, I promise. We, my wife recently got us these new alarm clocks called Lofties that are pretty sweet. And they have all kinds of different sounds that you can listen to either during bedtime and they have the thing where like instead of a uh like a traditional alarm clock sound you can like wake up to the sounds of the rainforest or something like that mm, yeah uh, so i've been using that and i gotta say it is a pleasant it's more pleasant to wake up to like monkeys chattering in the distance and the the breeze blowing softly through the dew dampened leaves than uh like mah, 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 mah. it's better i gotta say it's better yeah it did it is interesting how at some point we decided that alarm clocks, the best possible sound to wake up to was like a, a, a robot dying, you know? 
<laughs> like that's what you, you want to just pop your eyes open right right off the bat with that whole thing. Like like it needs to be jarring enough to to possibly get our attention when we're sleeping. Um, okay, here's one. We're gonna go to this one from Sean O'Malley's Methed Out Stylist, <laughs> who writes, "Let me get this straight." Francis Ngannou drops a bombshell about his sweet new deal with the PFL. And then hours later, the UFC drops a whole ton of big fight announcements that I'm going to go ahead and guess three quarters of the fighters haven't even agreed to yet. Are these (laughs) events related, you think? Because I was told by a reliable source that the media were a bunch of dummies and goofs and Dana doesn't even need them. So what gives? Does Dana think we're that dumb? Or are we that dumb? Am I dumb? Fuck, am I dumb? Please only answer the first question. Thanks. Uh, That's funny. It was hard not to notice the timing. Right? Yeah, yeah. And in, in in some ways, I feel like maybe we're shortchanging Francis Ngannou a little bit here by addressing the UFC news dump before we talk about his announcement. But it was pretty transparent to see uh, Dana White re- release this sprawling series of quote-unquote uh, breaking news fight announcements, which he now does via 15-second like Instagram videos. And well, the whole time I'm watching those social media videos, the, the only thing I can think is, I remember when these used to be on TV. Yeah. I remember when you, if you had a big fight announcement, you, it would be on television, but now it's just on your Instagram. So that seems like you're trending in the right direction. Uh, it was transparent. It was, uh, it was pretty clear what was happening there. And, uh, it was, I didn't, ex- you know what? And I, this is probably, they're probably not this shook. But it made them seem shook. Yeah. Like, oh, Francis, and they probably knew it was coming. There's no way the UFC didn't know that Francis Ngannou was about to announce for the PFL to yesterday. Uh, but to go full full out with that news dump made them made them seem shook. I was like, I didn't. Ooh, this is you might have you could have played it cool with this man. You didn't have to go full panicked news dump on Tuesday afternoon, that's made you look, made you look a little worried, made you look a little nervous is how I took it. Yeah. But it also worked to some extent, right? Like the, they understand how the MMA news media ecosystem works and they know we drop this stuff, especially if you drop a bunch of different fight bookings news, they know how the MMA websites are going to handle that. They're not just going to necessarily do one post with all the news in it, they're going to try to break it up into as many different like bite-sized pieces as they can because that's just sort of how the model works now. And the next thing you know, you 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 go to an MMA website and you see the first three to five stories are MMA or UFC news dump related. So it does sort of work to some extent, especially if, after Francis Ngannou's stuff earlier in the day, sort of push it off the front page at least a little bit. You know, people are definitely going to circle back and be talking about the Francis Ngannou stuff, so you're not going to push it off entirely. But you are going to make it share the space, and it did effectively do that if you look around at what the coverage looks like on MMA websites. Uh, we'll go next, though, to this one from Lefty Headlock, who writes, I'm very happy for Francis. However... Is anyone worried that the PFL is putting all their eggs into one basket? If this doesn't go according to plan, can the promotion survive? Please discourse. Now, we've said before that it's one thing to go spend a whole bunch of money to get yourself a big free agent, but he's got to fight somebody. Yep. And what we know about Francis Ngannou's deal, at least according to him, is whoever you get to fight him, that person got to make at least $2 million. Yeah. Which, for one thing... Kudos to Francis for talking the talk and walking the walk on that. Because how many people caught us cynically when we heard Francis Ngannou, as part of his contract negotiations, is not only pushing for stuff for him, but he's pushing for an improvement to the lives of other fighters, whether that was everybody on the roster or just the person he's going to fight. And people kind of went, yeah, sure he is, until it comes down to it. And then he's going to sign the dotted line for himself. And... No, here it is. He, he, nobody else is even thinking that way when signing their free agent contract, negotiating a free agent contract. Nobody else is talking yeah. about a guaranteed minimum for their opponent. Yeah. And, but then it also does make it so that when you do finally have Francis Ngannou fight and not just be a headline-grabbing signing or a brand ambassador uh, in Africa or, you know, equity partner, when he actually gets in there and fights for you, it's going to be expensive and it's ne- going to need to bring in a lot of money start to seem like it's paying off. Do you yeah. believe that it will? 
Once it, well, here, we've never seen anyone in mixed martial arts like this before. We've never seen a, a character like Francis Ngannou up to and including his demand to get his opponents paid maybe more than the average UFC A-side main eventer. That's crazy that he did that. And we would we would be doing him a disservice if we didn't acknowledge how fucking great that is. <laughs> That's just like an unprecedented historic demand that is not only good for him, but it is good for whoever he's going to fight. And we've never seen anybody do anything remotely like that before. So I just want to say that up front. And again, I feel like we're shortchanging Francis a little bit here, given that the first two questions are about the UFC's response and whether or not it's good or bad for the PFL. The honest answer from me about whether or not it's good or bad for the PFL is I don't give a fuck. Who cares? <laughs> This man is going to make his money. He won the game. He did what the UFC fucking Zufa zombie reply guys have been saying for decades that fighters should do. If you don't like the deal, don't sign it, they always say. Go somewhere else, they always say. They Nobody's say forcing you to fight, Dana White yeah. says every time this fucking topic comes up. You know what? He didn't. He fucking went somewhere else. He signed a different deal. And, you know, it's almost certainly both financially and personally better for him than the deal that he signed with the UFC. So there is that. Just wanted to say that off the top. Whether or not it makes sense for the PFL, I think, is a complicated question. The $2 million guarantee to an opponent is fucking interesting, man. Because if I am anywhere near being done with my contract in the UFC and I am yep. any kind of top 15 top UFC heavyweight or light heavyweight who could make heavyweight. I am looking around being like, how do I get out of this contract? How do I, how do I make myself available as quickly as possible and yeah. cross the aisle from the UFC to the PFL? So the Francis Ngannou signing is one thing, but if this, $2 million guarantee leads to an exodus of recognizable talent from the UFC to the PFL. And again, knowing nothing about their finances, that could be uh, significant for the PFL. If, you, if all of a sudden Tai Tuivasa and a couple other UFC mid-level heavyweights are coming over to try to fight Francis Ngannou, that, you know, that's, that's good for you if you're the PFL, for sure. Uh, it's tough to know how the finances work out via a pay-per-view for the PFL, right? Because I would wager. John Nash said Francis Ngannou is getting paid, quote, high seven figures for a two to three fight deal in the PFL. So let's just say it's eight million, which is what the UFC offered him to fight in a much different, differently structured deal. If it's eight million per fight for Francis and two million per fight for his opponent, you don't gotta be a math genius to see that that's twenty million for two fights for Francis Ngannou in the PFL. Do you make that money back via pay per view? Probably not. So if you're the PFL, I think you kind of gotta be looking at Francis Ngannou as a loss leader, right? Yeah. A guy who you might lose money in the short term. Uh, promoting his fights, but perhaps you make money in the long term if if not only potential opponents see what Francis Ngano is doing and start checking out what the PFL has to offer. But I will also say, I'm I, why would anyone ever sign a fucking long term UFC extension ever again if the PFL is out here paying people money to go over there? You're not going to get a Francis Ngano deal. You're not going to get seven eight million per fight. But I would want to be a free agent to see what I could get. Yeah. I, you know, never again would I let the UFC come to me with an eight fight extension and be like, yeah, okay, I'll sign that. Fuck no, hit the free agent market and see what they will give you, man. That's the whole point. So it seems like it'll be tough for them to turn around the profit on a couple of Nganu fights. But at the same time, uh, it could, it could turn out to be something bigger and better for them. Yeah. Um, you're definitely right. That was one of my first thoughts was if you're somebody around, even light heavyweight or heavyweight, you got a little bit of a name. You you hear Francis Ngannou planning to fight in the PFL in 2024. You go, mm, I might want to be a free agent by then. Just to yeah. keep my ear to the street on this. Just to see if the phone rings. Maybe we should put ourselves in a position for success. Because you're right. In If you're not a champion in the UFC... How many UFC fights are you going to have to fight to make $2 million guaranteed? 
You know, that's I would I would assume most of their champions are aren't even making two million. We don't know. They're probably not. You're probably not making two million a fight. Maybe if you are a titleist, I don't know. But well, almost if you're, nobody if you're heavyweight else. than you are. But yeah, but yeah, yeah. Um, okay, adjacent. We'll go to this one from Friendly Sparring, who says no. Or wait, sorry, sorry, Friendly Sparring. Friendly Sparring says no question from me. Just wanted to drop in and spread yeah. some love to y'all and the rest of the Comaniacs. But below that is Feder Gothard, who says, is Francis the pound-for-pound most impressive person ever involved in MMA? Right now, it feels like it's not that close. Inspirational guy, MMA's Ali in a lot of ways. Uh, I was encouraged when I woke up this morning, I think I saw it maybe on the morning report on MMA fighting, quote from Daniel Cormier, who, you know, before Francis signed this deal, had been a little bit company-guying it, the same, the way we would expect for the guy who, you know, makes his money as a talking head for the UFC now, but was kind of being like, Francis should make nice with the UFC. Come on back into the fold, sign that contract. Come on, come on back home, big fella. Admit that it, the gamble didn't work out. Yeah. Then he signs this deal and we learn this stuff about it. And DC's comments were along the lines of, this is a huge game changer that shows everybody else what is possible and makes MMA feel like a big time thing as a sport rather than, you know, kind of just the UFC feeling that way and is a a sort of like signpost that that could exist for a lot of other fighters to show them like you can, you know, not everybody can't work the same for everybody, but if you, when you have built yourself a little bit of a name and you have that leverage, you can ask for a better deal and you can get one. That it's it's out there. And that at least pushing that boundary a little bit, he's he's moved the mark for fighters in MMA. And I think that that's absolutely true. And I also think that if we look at kind of the big picture, the the full spectrum of the Francis Ngannou story from the time we first heard about him to now, it really went through a lot of the predictable sort of MMA life cycle stuff in a lot of ways, including Dana White doing the thing of unpromoting the guy. When he seems like he is getting to be too big of a star or feel like he is uh, bigger than the organization. And we know they hate that. And Dana White, remember when he went out there after he lost, after Francis lost the first Stipe fight and was like, he's arrogant. This guy has gotten too big for his britches, basically. Thinks he's better than he is. Is treating people badly. And he's got a huge ego. It's all gone to his head. And Francis Ngannou afterwards was like, what the hell, man? I don't know what the hell I said. And then, you know, he kind of offered an explanation where he thought like, oh, I said something once to Dana and I was joking and maybe he took it too seriously. But, you know, Dana White doing the thing of like, we want to tell other people you're a star so they should pay us for you. But we don't want you telling us that you're a star and that we should pay that money to you. Like, we get mad and we'll push back and we'll try to undercut you publicly and often when you do that. And Francis Ngannou kind of battled through that. And when you see just everything we know about this guy's character, what kind of person he is, his willingness to stand up for what he believes in and stick to it, you know, over a long time period. And when it's not at all guaranteed that it's going to work out, everything about it suggests that he is who he appeared to be. Yeah. He is that guy. Yeah. And the fact that that's a guy that the UFC would want to undercut and try to take down in the public eye kind of tells you something about the priorities there. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that the, that the Zufa zombie reply guys on Twitter are saying now is that, well, he's not a draw. I'm just like, well, maybe he's not a draw, but we won't know till somebody actually tries to promote him. Yeah. Right. We yeah. won't know. We don't know if he is or not. Let's let somebody uh, actually try to promote the guy instead of unpromote him. And, and then we'll see where we're at. But I, I mean, I agree. There's just, there's never, I just said it before. There's never been anybody like this guy in the sport before. And if he wins or loses or whatever from here out, I mean, the man's 36 years old. He probably doesn't have a ton of combat sports left in him. It, I don't even think it matters. He's already won the game. He's already going to get this guaranteed money from the PFL. He has the option to go box somebody. Uh, he got many of the uh, like lifestyle-based concessions that he wanted from the PFL. He's got a short-term deal. He's not locked in for long-term. He won. And it's. I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but I am surprised that 
there are so many people out there that they just can't admit it. Like there's just no circumstance where they would ever come up, come across with a, well, Oh, this is, uh, he did, he did it. He'd won. And it's, and the, but there are plenty of people being out there. Well, it's great for Francis, but blah, blah. Yeah, it is. It's fucking great for him. End of story. Yeah. Period. But, Shut the fuck up. And as worth noting, you mentioned some of the other concessions that he got, including the right to have his own sponsors. Keep in mind that if he went and fought, signed that deal for the UFC, went and fought John Jones, he was going to make, you know, 30 grand in outfitting policy pay, whatever the, the champion's version of it is uh, to go and do that fight. You know, if you are selling patches on Francis Ngannou's shorts for his next MMA fight and you sell any single sponsor for less than 30 grand, you should be fired. You know, he could do way better than that on sponsors. As far as I know, he's still working in that regard with CAA and Markel Martin. And they were doing a good job selling him sponsors when he couldn't even promote him in the UFC. Remember, he had that watch sponsorship. He had the Gymshark thing. So, like, now that he's now that he could promote his actually promote his sponsors, like he's probably going to get more, you'd think. Matthew Cole Webb writes two questions. PFL is now about that fucking life officially. I will buy their pay-per-views, and I believe they have a legit shot to steal viewers as long as they stack those cards. But, should the PFL in 2024 say fuck it with the seasons? Seems like they should go all in on big matchups and storylines, and the season gimmick hamstrings you. Question two, we done with Bellator, right? They hide their product, I have no fucking idea when fights are happening, and I know we love Scotty Cokes, but man oh man has Bellator just been irrelevant the past few years. Not due to talent, due to sheer promotional malpractice. Lots to discourse, fellas. Let's ride. Now, yeah. as for question two first, I don't know how much of that you can put on Scotty Cokes. Right. Because a lot of that is that you're under the Viacom umbrella. And what you know to them, Bellator is going to be a small piece a very small piece of their overall media business. And what they decide they want to do with it, they're going to do. They decide they want to put you over here behind this paywall and showtime, they're going to do that. They decide they want to charge people in Canada money to watch it online, they're going to do that. You don't have a ton of say, I would think, in that. I mean, you could offer an opinion, you could lobby for one thing over another, but they're going to do what they want to do with Bellator. And, And some of that is probably... Looking to see if this thing can ever really make us money or do we need to sell it and get out. And I, I don't know that that's because Scott Coker is a bad promoter. Scott Coker was one of the only people who made something out of a promotion that wasn't the UFC. And who, frankly, did something the UFC didn't do uh, or like the current owners of the UFC and that he started a promotion and built it into something out of nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... For Viacom, it makes perfect sense to put Bellator on Showtime, right? Because that's where your fight sports property is. It's a subscription premium thing. Take Bellator, put it over there. It's a piece of content over there. Fits perfectly right in. Sucks for Bellator, but it's good for Viacom. And I agree, like, you know, I don't think you can blame Scott Coker a ton. I think we all know his positives and his obvious drawbacks as a promoter. And I think there are many of both. But at the same time, I don't know that you can necessarily lay the potential failure of Bellator at his feet. Uh, at the same time, are we done with Bellator? It kind of seems like it. And I say that somewhat begrudgingly. And it, honestly, it kind of seems like the best thing that could happen is if the PFL bought Bellator. Because uh, you, you, I don't see a real long-term future for Bellator if we continue to have it over on Showtime. It could go on indefinitely, but I don't see them garnering any kind of real audience. And so uh, just the selfish fan in me might want to see the PFL take on those fighter contracts. Because then maybe you have some pieces you can work with. Maybe you have uh, some some pieces that could once a quarter once every three, four months, put on a pay-per-view that might be worth buying. Yeah. Uh, As for the question about the seasons, I say, no, I think you want to keep the seasons, even if you don't keep everybody in the seasons, the the seasons have the ability to make somebody into a thing because it's, it still works on us. This person went through the season. They won the big million dollar check at the end, held it up for the cameras. Now we suddenly care about them in a way that we wouldn't, if you just made up a title and had them fight for it. You know, that the seasons work to help you create from the roster that you have people who feel like important because they won the seasons uh, and because it is kind of like we recognize that it's a little bit of a, a grind to get through it. So 
I, I think you want to keep it, but you also want to build out that other aspect of your business where you have the ability to do those those big kind of one-off fights. Yeah, uh, I agree. I don't think you want to scrap the season, but you definitely need to add to it, right? You want to have this uh, pay-per-view circuit or pay-per-view area of fighters that are separate from the season. And did you know this, Ben, folks? This will tell you how little I pay attention to the PFL. They don't have champions aside from the people who won the last season of the show. So do you know who the U, the PFL's heavyweight champion is? Who? Ante Delizia. Nailed it. Won the 2022 heavyweight season. Uh, you got to shit can that immediately. <laughs> Right, because not only do you don't want any part of Francis Ngannou fighting someone named Ante Delizia in his first uh, PFL pay-per-view fight, but you want to be able to put the heavyweight championship on whoever wins the Francis Ngannou fight, right? These you absolutely want Francis Ngannou to be your heavyweight champion, and so you better just come up with a new one. You better yeah. just come up with a PFL heavyweight championship and put it on the line when Francis Ngannou fights Ben Rothwell or whoever. Yeah. Um, Cody Burnson writes, I know the silliness in asking this question, but how can the BMF title have been vacated if it was never brought up in a meaningful context since the original fight? Also, I didn't realize the BMF title had weight divisions. Is this just the UFC equivalent of the Intercontinental title at this point? Will Poirier and Gaethje get pay-per-view points for this? <laughs> Am I asking all of these questions in vain? Uh, I mean, yeah. To me, I hope that this decision to be like, you know, from the wording to the idea to the whole package, I hope it was done with some ironic self-awareness on the UFC's part. <laughs> Because to to come back years later and be like, these two guys now are going to fight for the vacant BMF title. And we're like, wait, what? You haven't said shit about the BMF title since you created it, since you had Buffalo Wild Wings trot out the BMF wings, since we made a big deal about it, had exactly one fight for it, and then nothing. Not a word from the UFC about any kind of stuff moving forward with the BMF title. And then... Years later, you'd be like, the vacant title. In what way is it vacant? How was it vacated? Is Jorge Masvidal stripped? Because Jorge Masvidal been fighting, and he'd been losing some of those fights. Shouldn't those people have the BMF title? Like it uh, Make it make sense, Chad. And the BMF title just it can go wherever you need it to go. It appears and reappears. Like Honestly, saying it's the equivalent of the Intercontinental title is giving it too much credit. It's more like a, you know, European title, TV title, something like that. Like, it it just seems like, okay, it's not a thing until we suddenly need a thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was the thing that made them look the most shook. Yeah, probably. Remember when I was like, oh, they seem like they're surprisingly scared and shook by this. The most shook thing they did was suddenly be like, oh, bring back the BMF title randomly today. Totally unconnected to anything else that happened. And you were going to put it online for this fight. Oh, okay. It's just like, you look scared, dude. You look scared if you're suddenly digging the BMF title out of the crate next to the Ark of the Covenant and bringing it out to put it on the winner of this fight. You look scared. Yeah. Um, Austin Shippey says, I'm about three weeks or in about three weeks, I'll be returning to the old US of A after my first deployment in over 15 years. And I'm about to overindulge like a motherfucker. <laughs> it's going to be so nice to sit at a bar and get tipsy off a couple Coors lights. Throwing this out to the chat. What's a recent absence makes the heart grow fonder experience you've had? Uh, I, I feel like I had some of this when we went through the pandemic and after getting the vaccines and where I, I remember sitting around thinking about it beforehand, like, man, Especially because I had moved to a house that was like two blocks away from one of my favorite bars, but I wasn't going there because of the pandemic. And I was like, Shh, I can't wait to go into that bar of a Saturday afternoon, order a cold domestic American beer, watch a baseball game that I don't give yeah. a shit about. Maybe yeah. use the gambling machine to put five bucks on it so that I do suddenly give a shit. Yeah. And so that was that was a very nice feeling. The other, I'm going to say this one, even though this is going to make me sound like a, uh, a kind of a lame dork, is that... Every year about this time when it starts to warm up again and I go back out because <clears throat> I like to do a little running as part of my exercise regimen. Running on the treadmill sucks. I hate it, but it's kind of the only option that I'm willing to 
endure during the winter time. And then when it gets nice enough that I can go out there, hit the trails, do a little trail running with my dog, I go, oh yeah, this is the kind of thing where like I'm getting exercise and everything, but I'm also actually just enjoying being in the world. And, yeah. uh, but you know what? Maybe I wouldn't get that if I just was able to run outside year round. Uh, I really enjoyed going back to the gym after sitting out for a year during the pandemic. It made me realize that I shouldn't take it for granted that my time there is not indefinite and that I should use my physical body while I still can. Uh, just in terms of like absence, making the heart grow fonder, I will mention two things. Number one, I think I've said this before, but soda pop, the best part about not drinking soda pop is then drinking one. Like mm. if you haven't had a Coke, for a couple months or six months, whatever it is, and then you drink a Coke, first of all, you're like, wow, this is weird. This tastes just strange. I can't believe this is like the most popular beverage in the entire world or whatever. But you're also just like, and it's amazing. It's amazing to drink a soda after not drinking one for a long time, just to feel the sugar and caffeine and high fructose corn syrup hit the system. It's just a wild ride, man. And the same thing is true, frankly, with with alcohol. So you yeah. don't drink alcohol for a while, and then you know it hits your lips, and all of a sudden you're Frank the Tank. <laughs> Patrick King says, "Yo, Ben and Chad, it's my birthday. Happy birthday! Yay. Happy birthday, Patrick King." Here it's sorry about the Kraken, but these things happen when you anger the spirit of Mike Madonna. My question is, if you could make any plans for Francis, what would they be? I would have him win the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship, <laughs> LYBE. Okay, this is if you could script out how it would go, I would say by the end of the year, Francis Ngannou gets him one of them big boxing matches. Mm-hmm. Like Anthony Joshua. I remember we were going to do the True Tea Party with that one. Uh, uh, or that was Deontay Wilder who wanted to do the True Tea Party. Uh, Tyson Fury, maybe that one seems like a little bit of an outside chance. One of those big boxing matches, and I don't care if he gets the shit kicked out of him. Do Doesn't not matter. care. Does big time, matter. big single payday boxing match, and he can get to say, "I did it. I I did the thing that I wanted to do here." Uh, and then 2024, he comes back to PFL, and I would love to see him be able to fight somebody relevant in the heavyweight division, not somebody like if. Like there's, there will be a part of me if PFL is like, we went and got Josh Barnett, yeah, Francis Ngannou versus Josh Barnett. There's a name you know, right? And I'll be like, oh yeah, I guess so. And I will watch that fight. I'll pay for that fight gladly. But I would love to see him fight a heavyweight who feels like they kind of matter. Yeah. Uh, whether we have to wait for somebody to fight out their contract to get to that point or not, that would be my ideal scenario. I think that we can all perhaps take solace in the fact that Francis Ngannou seems like too good of a dude to fight Fedor. Right. <laughs> well, like he come wouldn't. on. No, don't even, don't even say that. Don't even put he that out in the world. He wouldn't do that. He's up here talking about how his opponent needs to get 2 million. He wants him to have a legitimate training camp, be able to afford training partners and sparring and all that stuff. He wouldn't fight Fedor. No, right? he'd kill Fedor. Yeah. He should, whoever books it should be brought up on charges for sure. Yeah. So let's just take that off the table. Uh, hundred percent Francis Ngannou should go have a boxing match. I've said that every time we talk about this priority one, first things first, step one, go make as much money as you possibly can having a boxing match against any legitimate recognizable heavyweight period. End of story. If the PFL has the chance to bring one of those guys over for a true tea party, Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine it. It doesn't even seem like it could be possible and it's probably not. But if you get the opportunity to bring Anthony Joshua or Deontay Wilder to the PFL and have them fight Francis Ngannou in an MMA fight, brother, Katie, bar the door, do whatever you can, sell a child, uh, give one of your, make a sacrifice to pick out whatever brother you like the least and sacrifice him to the MMA gods because you do that a hundred times out of a hundred. Yeah. Now the the interesting question to me, and I hope I don't want to you know trample on everyone anyone else's question if we have one coming up, and it's impossible to know what the landscape will look like in 2024 when Francis Ngannou actually gets ready to have an MMA fight. But who's the best opponent for him? Who is the like if you're PFL and you look around the landscape right now, who is the guy that you would try to book against Francis Ngannou? Because it's not great. 
right now in terms of heavyweight free agents. You mentioned Josh Barnett, who I think would be a pretty solid pick. Ben Rothwell has already social, socially thrown his hat into the Francis Ngannou ring, which I think is another pretty solid choice. Uh, Roy Nelson just had a bare-knuckle MMA fight, right, in no, uh, Game Bread, no. and he mm-hmm. won that. I'm just telling you who's out there, man. Overeem okay. just got just popped positive for PEDs. He's still he kicking already around over Overeem, there. In okay. glo- well, yeah, no, I know. Will you shut the fuck up? I'm telling you <laughs> no, who's out there. No, These I are the not. guys who are out there. What do you want? Phil no. DeFreeze, Ben folks, you're going to book them against Phil DeFreeze, you big That's dummy? What is that what, what you I'm want? saying is don't think about who's out there now. This is let's let's let everybody else sit with the knowledge that Francis Ngannou has just put it out there that he will be looking to fight a heavyweight in MMA in 2024 and that that person will make no fewer than 2 million American dollars. He's I just am letting everybody to know. irresponsibly speculate over here. Phil Who do you book him against? All right, we're going to move on to this one from Jesse White Deer, who writes, Hey, yo, you dude sees Zhang Wiley is fighting Amanda Lemos in Boston on August 19th? I mean, I guess that's cool. But couldn't they have Zhang Wiley and Yang Jianan on that rumored NYC card? New York has a big Chinese population, so if you're not going to be China itself, isn't that the next logical choice? I don't know, maybe I'm just a simple farm boy, but kind of seems like a bag is being fumbled by a certain bald man and his pack of goofs. Thanks for your time. Best wishes. Warm regards. Your pal from Oklahoma, the Jesse White Deer. It is a little bit of a curious booking. Yeah, I was surprised. I was surprised. I thought you were going to see uh, uh, the the China spectacular over there in Hong Kong or somewhere else. Uh, and Amanda Lemos was kind of a left field choice to me for uh, Wiley Zhang's next title defense. I thought we had it set up pretty good. So there must be something happening that like uh, maybe you can't get the other fight put together quick enough. Maybe you've got this schedule you got to keep to. Maybe there's an injury. Maybe you already had something in the works between Lemos and, and Jean Wiley. I don't know, but I w- it was surprising to me. I was surprised by it. Yeah, it smacks to me of needs of the calendar rather than the most logical fight. And that's fair to some extent. Like matchmakers, UFC matchmakers have talked about it before, how we think of these people as just pieces on a chessboard that we can move around however we want. And we don't always realize it. Not everybody's available when you need them available. And then there's other constraints that keep them from just you being able to fantasy matchmake everybody on the roster at all times. So fair. Maybe it's something like that. But it, it did seem a little bit because it felt like, oh, really? Seems like here would be a good chance to do something big and help yourself out in the Chinese market. And this just feels like, well, we wanted to add a female title fight to a fight card where we had a a title fight in one of the divisions that we don't feel draws a ton with its title fights, you know? Yeah. Um, all right, here we'll go down to jam. That's ca- all caps. J a M. Hey guys, as much as I'm in mourning for the Kraken, it was a great season and the show must go on. I wanted to go off of something. One of you said about a guy people may be sleeping on. Tom Aspinall is coming back in a tough fight against Marcin Tybura, and he's coming off a knee injury, meniscus, MCL, and ACL damage. I had him getting the belt at some point, but in your years of watching the sport, how do guys tend to come back off the, coming off these types of injuries? Also, we excited for Davey Grant? He seems to always put on a show. One other quick thing, to shed some light on the Bilal booze, my in-laws are from Newark, and there's a huge multicultural population there, including a large Brazilian community. So, theoretically, there could have been a lot of Brazilian fans just booing because not Gilbert? Thanks, guys. L-Y-B-E. Um, that is an interesting context to add, but and that's possible. I still think maybe there's a lot of just anti-Bilal people, but... Um, yeah, the Tom Aspinall thing, I think I was the one who brought up that, don't forget about him, we're talking about the heavyweight division being very interesting. Knee injury stuff, similar to hand injury stuff, I feel like can sometimes for guys be more of a mental hurdle than a physical one. Yeah. Because you just got to learn to trust it. And especially for somebody like Tom Aspinall, where it's, it's not like he fucked up. It's not like he got put in a knee bar or put in a heel hook and didn't tap in time and got his himself fucked up that way. And he could be like, okay, I made a mistake there and I paid for it. Went throw a kick and his knee just went out, man. Like, how do you go out there and not at least have that somewhere in your head that you're worried about something like that happening again? Yeah, man, especially when you are a heavyweight whose thing is kind of being quick and mobile. 
Like you're not the biggest heavyweight out there. So a knee injury could complicate things like, look, man, look what's going on with Francis Ngannou. You got to think that part of this uh, lengthy holdout and then now scheduling his MMA PFL debut for 2024 is probably like, let's make sure the knee is completely healthy, right? Like it's been kind of a long odyssey for him to come back from that injury. So uh, yeah, it's, I think it's a, a bit of a tough one for Aspinall, but also I wholeheartedly agree that he deserves to be in the same sentence as uh, Jailton Almeida and uh, Sergei Pavlovich and probably right behind those two guys, but still very much in in the hunt he just probably needs to come back from the injury and get a win or two yeah hitesh bala says greetings from dubai just signed up for a year on pledge month and looking forward to hanging out with you good folks and keeping the discourse unfettered have a great day and thank you for all that you guys do hell yeah welcome to the team appreciate that uh we're about 50 minutes in chad so you already know what time it is it's tracy time tracy dickinson writes on today's episode of just saying stuff Dana announces a title fight between Aljamain Sterling and Sean O'Malley in August. Ray Longo has since confirmed that he has no knowledge of Aljamain agreeing to fight at UFC 292. Keep in mind, this comes a day after Aljamain told Ariel Helwani that he still had to have some x-rays done to see if he's even cleared to fight. Does Dana continually do this type of thing because he figures MMA fans will blame it on the fighter, not the UFC, when they announce that they're not fighting when they never agreed to it in the first place? JSS number 2, John Jones acting all sassy with Nganu's news and trying to belittle him for it. All while there are tweets that still exist with John saying why he needed more money to fight Francis, which proves Francis wasn't running from him. Why you do that, John? <laughs> I do, acting, yes. acting all sassy is the greatest way to put it. <laughs> yeah, you, it really you is. Knew, you knew Although, he was going to be like that about it, though, well, didn't you? Yeah, no, you, you did know that. And God, I'm glad somebody asked about it because we need to discuss it. Here is a man. In John Jones, who had his own lengthy contract holdout with the UFC in search of more money. And you know what happened to John Jones at the end of it? He folded. He folded and he got, and he re signed with the UFC immediately after Francis Ngannou, you know, departing the promotion, getting stripped of the title, et cetera, et cetera. I hope. That when they when when Johnny agreed to get himself locked down in a fucking eight fight deal, I hope that he is making a shitload of money for every fight. Because otherwise, it's pretty hard not to look across the street, to use his own language here, and see Francis Ngannou getting paid six, seven, eight million dollars guaranteed from the PFL. Doesn't matter if he loses. Doesn't matter if he does a bad job, they still have to pay him. Hard not to look over there and say, wait a second, this guy potentially is getting paid more than me per fight and he's got a shorter deal and he gets sponsors and they can't renegotiate on him when he loses? Huh. Well, I guess I'll act sassy on Twitter then. It seems like John Jones might have played himself. Uh, Also, uh, for the first question, I mean... Does the UFC do that because they know fans will blame the fighter? Yes, and they're right about it. They, they are, they've done that. They've right. they've shown that time and time again that they go ahead, they announce, make a big deal, and when the fighter's like, "Hey, I'm not doing this," and I never agreed to do it, people will be like, "Why? Because you're scared? Because you because you big fraidy cat won't mm-hmm. get in the cage. You're not a real man." Mm-hmm. And they're going, "Shit, man! Like, <laughs> I have a career in cage fighting. Obviously, I'm not scared <laughs> of fighting, but shit, I, there's." I never agreed to do this in the first place, and there's very good reasons why. We saw it recently, wasn't it Davison Figueredo, where the UFC was saying, Davison Figueredo, going to do this fight. And then Davison Figueredo was like, dudes, I'm not even cleared. I, like, I have, uh, the, the doctor will not clear me to fight yet because of like, his vision problems. And, being like, I, and that's a pretty significant, serious thing. And to go ahead and start announcing, like, this guy's going to fight. And he's like, I literally have a doctor's note that says I can't. Why are you telling people otherwise? Yeah. And so it's not like it's a new thing. We've seen the UFC do it a whole lot, but it does actually work on people. You know that a certain segment of the fans are always going to react that way when the fighter's yes. like, no, I'm not doing it. And we see it this week. There are fans, many of them, who are blaming Francis Ngannou or blaming John Jones that that fight is not happening, right? And like, look, 
I am disappointed that that fight is not happening too. We all are. It's shaped up as like the fight of the century, the biggest MMA fight of all time. But it is insane. It is insane to blame either of the fighters for that fight not happening when the UFC, with its $1 billion of annual revenue and its zero risk of putting on any event with its guaranteed licensing fees to from ESPN and its insistence that it makes 85% of the profits and its absolute refusal to budge from that even a little bit. It's insane to blame either of the two fighters that that fight is not happening. If the UFC wanted to make it, it 100% could have made it. They just wouldn't give the guys any extra money, period. All right, we're going to do a little bit of lightning round before we get out of here. Uh, Brock Landers includes the link to this Yahoo story. Did you see this about uh, the headline says former Cowboys defensive end selling spectrum packages at Walmart and Garland. That former Cowboys defensive end, of course, is Greg Hardy. Yeah. Uh, was that a real thing or was it some kind of viral marketing thing? It claims that it's some kind of real thing. It says Hardy said he started working with a marketing company amid trying to start his own business and was surprised when he was assigned a job as a Spectrum greeter selling packages at a Walmart in Garland. Hardy did not enjoy the job and claimed he was going to quit and told fans to come to Walmart to buy from him before he left. Hardy spoke with a potential customer who seemed to be unaware that Hardy was live streaming their conversation. (laughs) That's fun. Uh, Brock Landers writes, I'm sorry, I know we vowed never to speak of him again, but I came upon this the other week. I have nothing against working for Walmart, but I take pleasure in his fall from grace. Hopefully one of those, quote, people of Walmart will knock his ass out and it will end up on IG. I'm a two-time first comment winner and Ben still has not accepted my IG friend request. I no longer love you both equally. P.S. Am I the only one that says live Chad in my mind brain? Uh... (laughs) Okay, here's the thing. If you're going to send me the Instagram friend request, you got to find some way to let me know that you're a patron of the CME because people will have screen names that aren't necessarily like their names. And so I don't always know. And I get like a lot of requests from just like randos where some of them are just like sex bots and some of them are people that I don't know if I know them or not. So you got to find some way to let your boy know like, hey, I friend requested you. Here's my screen name. And then you know, I'll give you the thumbs up, but otherwise I don't, I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta be careful over there on, uh, on Instagram. There's a lot of beautiful ladies that will want to be your friend and ask if they can send you uh, a DM, right. About what an interesting person you are. They have a question they want to ask you. (laughs) I bet they do too. Uh, no, we're not going to feel sorry for Greg Hardy. That's the first thing. But also, didn't this dude have like 10 fights in the UFC and almost all of them, if not all of them, were on the main cards of high-profile fighting events? So the fact that this guy is now reduced to, it sounds like getting swindled into going to Walmart to sell Spectrum plans or whatever, by the way, fuck Spectrum, uh, that's sad, right? Like 10 fights in the UFC? You should be, you should have a lot of money. Yeah. And many of these people do not after that 10 fights. So not feel going to feel bad for Greg Hardy. I'm just going to put that out there. Um, yeah. So, okay. Rasmus Avisto says, as you guys are the world's premier futures betters, I have a wager for you. Will PFL be in business on 12-31-2024? They're clearly betting big on Jake Paul, Francis Ngannou, and perhaps buying Bellator. So will it be Affliction 2 or a big success? Will be interesting to look back on your predictions if Ben is still alive by that point. I mean, I think yes is the prediction to make. They see they They are certainly, well, God, in MMA, you never know what's happening right but they are certainly projecting and acting like they've got the money to spend which again we've seen a lot of companies come and go at every level in this sport and many of them acted like they had the money to spend but pfl is out here flouting their uh you know their uh venture capitalists money and who knows how much money they're getting from espn for the broadcast deal and all this other stuff like that maybe that maybe they're just out here taking wild irresponsible risks but it i mean it seems like they've got the money man at least for now 
And, uh, you know, will they be in business in five years? Ha, well, only time will tell. But like next, the end of next year, I'm going to say yes, probably yes. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, let's see a couple more before we get out of here. Uh, sunny weather. So it's, I put this on the Discord, too. But in case there are some non-Discorders, since it's Pledge Month and it's been a while since I posted it, here is my Sir Nigel Supercut. At some point during 2020, when I was the only person in the office, I went through old episodes and clipped all the Master Tweet theaters. I'm 99% sure it was complete as of some point in 2020. There might be a few duplicates as my cutting and pasting into Audacity quickly became mind-numbing. At any rate, enjoy. And he has the link here, uh, which people very much appreciate him doing. Yeah, that's awesome. Good work. Good work by Sunny Weathers there. Uh, Hair Danny Boy III says, Hi, gents. And then there's an exchange here written in dialogue. Smith, you're attacking my family. Walker, what? Smith, you're attacking my family. Walker, huh? Now that was some weird shit. I was as confused as Johnny at that moment. Do you guys agree with the opinion that some of uh, of some that Smith is still suffering from PTSD caused by the home invasion? Was he using that memory to motivate himself to keep fighting? Is the CTE doing the talking? Cheers. Um, I assumed that that was him trying to motivate himself, trying to tap into the feelings that he felt on that terrifying evening when he found somebody in his home. Right. Uh, I assume that that's what it was because he's going through a rough time in a fight and trying to like find something to like ignite that fire. I Couldn't you just think it though? I guess yeah. would be I mean, a question. Is it possible that he also could have just meant you're trying to take half my money? That's I guess so. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's a weird thing to say, and and uh, it's, it's mm, we can only speculate, I guess, what he meant. But it did seem like a self motivational. Who knows exactly what he meant? But he was trying to get, he's trying to dig deep, as they say, and uh, and you know, find the will to keep going. Which, frankly, like that was tough, man. Like, yeah, it's it's easy to imagine a lot of people, even professional fighters, not finishing that fight, considering what was the damage I guess that was piling up for Anthony Smith. So kudos to him for that, I guess. But yeah, he's just trying to find the will to dig deep, all that stuff. I think, uh, two more. Neil says, if you could go back in time and gift one athlete with an injury free career, whose would you want to watch beginning to end? Does not have to be limited to MMA. Jack Weiss pops in here right away and says, it's gotta be Bo Jackson, right? He was an all-star in two sports and retired at 32. If not him, yeah. maybe Bobby Orr. knee injuries greatly reduced his career. Now, Bo Jackson is a good pick there. Uh, I know my dad would probably say Mickey Mantle, um, mm. and, and that would also be a good pick. But, yeah, I mean, if it were MMA, we always wondered the what if. Um, what was the guy's name? Now I can't even remember it, where he went to work on the mine in Canada because he couldn't oh. get over the post-concussion syndrome. Yeah. Uh, I'm very disappointed in myself that I can't remember his name. We're Facebook friends. We're Facebook friends too. I can't. I can't remember his name. <sighs> well, I you know, know Dom, Dominic Cruz uh, is, is oh, okay. maybe would be a choice too. Uh, yeah. What, All what's right. that dude's name? Why can't I remember I can't, that guy's I know, name? It's killing me. It's absolutely killing me. <laughs> Canadian Everyone from Nova Scotia. Everyone who's listening to this knows too, and they're going crazy yeah. right now, just like yelling at their. Uh, yelling at their whatever they're listening to this on we will finish with this one from nick cohen who says because it's cme pledge month i felt the need to offer some context for what a great deal the cme patreon is i've been subscribed to numerous different patreons in the past most of these were specific to the video game enthusiast press crowd which in general has a target audience that is more tech savvy than most that said none of them give you the quality and quantity that the cme offers if we take the standard ten dollar a month price point there's no question most of these other patreons only offer an average of one additional hour of content per week for your ten dollars this is why i'm constantly of the feeling that the CME is too good to be true. And while I've had to scale back some of my other Patreon subscriptions, I will never, it's in all caps, lessen my CME subscription. My only complaint, not enough Sir Nigel. Yeah, I mean, TJ Grant. Huh. TJ Grant! Wow. Finally, yeah. You know, yeah. I had to Google uh, UFC Potash Mine. Yep, to figure there you out go. It was the Potash Grant. Mine that he went to work Grant. in. We're we're Facebook friends. He's got a beautiful family. He's up there yeah. in uh, Nova Scotia teaching the martial arts. Seems like he's doing okay. But TJ Grant would be a great uh, answer for that previous question. And now 
we must continue to wonder if we both have brain tumors. Uh, yeah, no, we, we try to make we try to make it worth everybody's while, right? To be up in here with us. We're asking for their money and then we don't something we don't take lightly. So uh, have we built ourselves into a prison of our own making in some ways? Probably. But it's a, it's a prison that we love to be in. No one I'd rather be in prison in with. It's, it's all you find people. Which means we can't ever stop doing it, right? We have to do this podcast until we die or else that, everyone's going to be super mad at us. I still think that's got to be soon, though. You know, it's just <laughs> it got to be. It is a slow grind to the bottom. Uh, what shirt are you wearing? Oh, this is my Ric Flair shirt. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Is that Roots of Fight? Is that a Roots of Fight shirt? I think it's just one of those places on the internet. Mm, okay. I think I saw it on Instagram. Bought it. Just, just wondering. All right, everybody, that is going to be the end of this week's Coming Event Podcast. Patreon live chat. We are back tomorrow with Doing the Damn Thing and then Friday with the Power Hour. If you're listening for free, we hope you enjoyed it. Please uh, consider coming over to join us at patreon.com slash co-main event. The rest of you, we love you all equally. We'll see you tomorrow. As for right now, we're done. <laughs>